Hello, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. My name's Stephen Hill, and with me, as ever, the daring Renfrey Deadman of Ooh. Renfrey Deadman fame. <laughs> Hello, Stephen Hill of Steggle fame. Or should I call you Stephen <laughs> Bry Hill of Steggle fame? You can do. You can do if you want. You can do. Um, thanks very much for purchasing this Rioteers review, or just being a patron in general. This is actually part of our second birthday anniversary celebratory week and uh, we're doing something a little bit different and a little bit fun but i just want to say thanks very much for coming here to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast i know you don't need to be told that but we will be putting this out sometime in the future and sometime in the future long long after our second birthday anniversary mm. special celebratory week <laughs> thing <laughs> you freeloading fuck face has got to hear this for free no cake for you no doggy bag no pasta parcel for you cake's all done i've eaten it all. cake's all done We've it's all, all done it's finished mm. um we're uh we're actually on our fourth or fifth birthday at this point probably and we've got a we've got a big office in london with a pool table like nathan barley uh, <laughs> as we speak now we're roughly 18 months i think the freeloaders are about 18 months behind so yeah that mm. could that could well be the case could happen could, could happen. happen um the reason why i'm stalling for this rioters review uh is because with it being part of our birth birthday week we've decided to do something a little bit different and to essentially look at each other's work as artists <laughs> artists i just describe myself as an artist what a wanker um we're going to be putting up another writers review tomorrow if you're a patron um where i talk about renfrey and your you know your short-lived career as a singer-songwriter yeah that is coming yeah 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 I was just pausing because I was like, is short-lived accurate? And then I was like, yeah, it was short-lived. Yeah, that's I mean, fair. You know, yeah. if, if Bob Dylan is like normal, yeah, you're fairly short. Definitely short. So, no it was offense. three to four years, um, but yeah, yeah, it was short. Yeah, mm. yeah, I had about the same. Um, we'll be talking in this episode, though, about Overton progressive melodic noisecore band Stegel. Progressive, um, okay. Pro First of all, <laughs> progressive melodic noise go bad. No offense. I think you've made yourself sound no. a lot more interesting than you were. <laughs> That's what we used to say. We just Is say really? hardcore, shall we? We do, yeah, we just wanted to come up with a sort of stupid name for something, a long winded <laughs> name. So we used to yeah. put that on like you um, know, our, our merch and stuff. I don't mean this to sound because coming from me, you'll assume I mean this in a bad way, and I promise you, I don't. I do, th I do think Stegall are predominantly a metalcore band, but I think a lot of the metalcore, from what I've heard, but a lot of the metalcore, um, I mean, kind of Poison the Well style mm. metalcore, bit of botch, mm -hmm. yada yada yada. So um, yeah, yeah, I think that's metalcore, hardcore, that sort of, of thing. what we're going for. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> South Coast hardcore. I mean, the reason we didn't used to use hardcore so much <laughs> is because. Two fifths of the band fucking hate hardcore and oh, hate right. the idea of being in a hardcore band. I see. So we had to sort of like placate them. When your guitarist and the guy who writes all your songs is getting told he's in a hardcore band, but he listens to Counting Crows and Elliot Smith and nothing else, didn't like that. 
We, I mean, yeah, I, I, I will be reading from uh, your bio later, uh, which has a very interesting um, smorgasbord of different bands and influences, uh, and Counting Crows is one mm. of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is no... You can't hear that no. in music at all. <laughs> no, you can't. I really like Counting Not Crows. Even. I like the first two yeah, records. Yeah, me too. The first two records are fantastic. Mm. Don't hear any Counting Crows in it. <laughs> <laughs> some of Absolutely these bands some of these bands are bang on some of these bands are bang on but uh yeah not counting crows <laughs> angorod is the name of the debut full-length album which is primarily what we're going to be talking about uh today yep. that's right isn't it, it mm -hmm. came out in 2001 it's eight tracks mm -hmm. uh it's a smorgasbord of uh all sorts of influences and well i wonder if i should read from the bio now actually um do you want yeah, me to mate, read the bio you have okay so this is the bio that i found on youtube um based in rural hampshire uh and then in brackets a small village called overton near basingstoke i like the fact that you've had to make it clear that you're definitely from overton uh Stegel were formed in the summer of 1998 originally as a four-piece Steve Bryhill on vocals, Kieran uh, Kieran Hayes, Hayes, Kieran Hayes, yeah. Hayes, Hayes on guitars, uh, Daz Hutchins on bass, and Martin C on drums. Stegall played their first gig in December 1998 at a local school. Uh, like many bands mm. starting to play, remember that gig? We we I do yes. We actually played two of our own songs, which we never ever played again. I don't think, and we just ditched. Um, and we played uh, the last day of school for, at the school we used to go to during their disco. So they had a disco for the last day of school and, and finished at like lunchtime. So we played at about midday. Right. And we did a set. We did about four or five Deftones covers. Mm -hmm. We covered Weeds by Life of Agony as well. Uh, we covered oh. Bleed by Soulfly. And we got Daz the bassist his brother dean came up and did fred durst for bleed fantastic so that was good do you remember what dead um, songs you did we did um head up definitely nice we did we did mascara weirdly huh. okay yeah uh yeah. we did mascara we did head up we did title track i think we started with around the fur mm -hmm. we started our set with around the fur um and we did root um and we did we did do something else fuck what was the other one that we did um might have been lotion mm. might have been lotion yeah or engine number engine number oh no and we did teething we did teething as well oh nice Just not even on the not even on the deftones album yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so we were doing good. like deftones and we did territorial pissings um just because we were like, we should do one that all of them are going to know, sort of thing. Um, and did, then did they know they it? had a disco? Did they know yeah. it? Okay. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, Nirvana were massive. This is 1998. Nirvana was still fucking massive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They were bigger than any of those other bands. We've, we've I'm only thinking because um, album track. I mean, uh, you, you've gone for album tracks on all those Deftones mm. ones as well. Yeah. No, no, no chance of doing no my own summer it. no 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 okay no okay. no be quiet and drive no it didn't would that, that bit would uh, that have been a sticking point no i just think we picked the songs that we liked okay and we did i just lie by snot as well oh right nice okay <laughs> yeah which is not really very pc these <laughs> days uh and we dropped that pretty quickly um 
And then I went off to see Fear Factory in the evening. Oh, the lovely. Story. Lovely. It's a good day. Who, who, Kilgore. who sang better live, do you think? You or Burton Seabell? <laughs> right, for the for the for the first time in his career, Burton Seabell was the best vocalist <laughs> <laughs> on show that day. <laughs> um continuing with the, with the bio, after playing various local gigs, they decided to recruit a second guitarist, and Laura then joined the band in the spring summer of nineteen ninety-nine. Uh, since then, Stegall mm. have been gigging consistently around the UK and have built up a strong and loyal fan base. Anything to add at this point? We had a few people that liked us. I mean, actually, it tended to be in there were little certain pockets of places in the country that liked us. But locally, everyone fucking hated us locally. Oh. Everyone hated us. It was all like new metal and pop punk stuff. And we did, you know, Deftones, Soulfly, Life of Agony you know snot we were doing sort of new metally stuff quite initially but we soon phased out all the covers and we just started playing our own songs and i think our own songs were sort of a bit deftonesy new metally initially the early stuff but we were like you know glass jaw and i just listened to like face no more and stuff as well so i think it was deliberately trying to be a bit slightly different to typical new metal thing mm. none mm. of us really listened to that that much at that point um i would we covered war by system of a down and that felt like quite a weird thing to do at the right time. right i would argue that listening to the record a few times there are sort of um tiny little glimpses of new metal here and there but it's actually more in the mm. production than anything else i would argue well i was gonna uh, we will talk Shall we about, go into that um, we'll go into that Steve Steve Watkins, the producer, and what he was desperate for us to sound like. Yeah, yeah okay, we'll go into that later. Uh, just to finish this bio, taking influences ranging from ranging from Poison the Well, absolutely, to Far, yeah, to Counting Crows, less so. Uh, <laughs> Steggle aimed to combine the emotional intensity of Will Haven. Now I love this El Diablo era. You're very very specific. Yeah, <laughs> Vision of Disorder, Imprint era. Not, not the first. Uh, no. fr from Blisters Devastate. Oh, was from Blisters well, Devastate. Well, exactly. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, you don't want people thinking you mean that Blisters Devastate. <laughs> and um, actually, like, and and actually, just to put on the Will Haven thing, mm. our drummer like really loved Will, like El Diablo, and it's when when they got Mitch. Is his name Mitch Wheeler, the drummer that came in after? Uh, I've forgotten the original drummer's name now, but as Mitch Wheeler came in. And when Carpe Diem came out, he was like, Will Haven suck now. Listen to the drums. They suck. They're terrible. And I was just like, oh, they sound fucking insane, don't they? they sound all He's like, no, no. El Diablo, Will Haven, and the first EP. So, uh, yes, Will Haven, El Diablo era, Vision of Disorder, Imprint era, and Drowning Man. No era specified, interestingly. All uh, Drowning Man. All yeah. Drowning Man. Uh, the Passion and Genius of Swedish hardcore legends refused. Probably genius, not necessarily, <laughs> but that's fine. And the intelligent, soulful ambience of Tool. Wonder who put that in to form their own blend of progressive metalcore slash hardcore. It probably wasn't me, actually. To be really? fair, I mean, okay. it, all of us, all of us love Tool. Mm. I mean, I'm not the biggest Tool fan in the band. Oh, Nora was a far bigger. Was was like she was the first one to kind of rubber stamp Tool are the best band. So oh, probably her. Yeah. So, how what was the formation of the band? How did you get together? 
in the first place? So basically, I don't really, I, I don't really know. So basically, no, I do know. That's not true. But basically, I, my mate Tom Stevens came around my house one day and I was learning to play. And he's like, the, was the best guitarist at our school. Mm -hmm. And he got my little amp and he started playing Loco by Cold Chamber on it. Loco. And I was like, oh, you're playing Loco. Mm -hmm. And I went, Steve Roller, roll into my head, say, that's a Loco barrel up, go. And he was like, oh my God, you sound just like Des Fafara. And I was like, do I? And he was like, yeah, you should you should sing in a metal band. And I was, I mean, I was just literally just sitting in my bedroom going, me Loco, me Loco. And he was like, oh, you should be in a metal band. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should. And then with that sort of, praise ringing in my ears i went to college and they used to do lunchtime concerts right I'm sorry this is particularly this is particularly funny that you say praise with the shit you said about cold chamber in the past i know right so so i went to this, this they, were, they used to do these lunchtime concerts where all the people who did music would do um would do like some they do like just a concert at lunchtime they do this a bunch of songs or whatever this is at your school at school at my, yeah at my well college at college, college and okay. um and these guys who knew tom from tom was in a, a band called glitch who were really really good uh they were like sort of best band and they played with these other guys who were in a band at college and they'd and they were going oh we really want to cover faith by like do, do the limp biscuit version mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they went, we don't know anyone who can do the thing. And my mate Lee was like a really good singer. And he was going to sing the verses like, oh, I guess it would be nice. nice. He was going to do all that. Mm -hmm. And then they wanted someone to come and do the. And Tom said to these two dudes, Nathan and Ashley, like, why don't you ask Stephen Hill to do it? Because he was, I heard him doing Cold Chamber and he sounded quite good. <laughs> so I was like, they were like, do you want to come and do the faith bits? Like the screamy mm. bits in faith. And I went, yeah, I'll have a go. I'll mm. sort of have a go, you know. And because Lee was, he was the other singer that was my best mate, we were like, oh yeah, it would be really funny to do it together and stuff. And so we did Faith by Limp Biscuit, And I don't know, I just did what was sort of nat came natural to sort of shout Faith from by Limp Biscuit, And they were like, that's really good. And this guy at college was like, do you want to be in my band? I'm going to start it with this other guy who's a really amazing bass player, blah, blah, blah. And so suddenly people were like going, if you need a vocalist, there's this guy. And did you see him doing Faith by Limp Biscuit? And someone had filmed it on the video and it was going around. And so I started getting people going to me, do you want to be in a band? Do you want to be in a band? Do you want to be in a band? And I was a bit like, I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm doing. And then basically there's in my village, like Daz lives about... Four, a four minute walk away from me Kears lives about a four minute walk away from me Kears was always I thought the best guitar he could play Money for Nothing by Dire Straits all the way through mm -hmm. and I thought he was the best guitar like he was the best guitarist his dad used to be in the Trogs of Wild Thing fame he oh, played guitar yeah. in the Trogs oh wow yeah, and he, he plays blues guitar and he's fucking amazing and Kears is completely self taught like just taught himself how. his dad just went there's a guitar you know, just fucking fiddle around with it. And he just self-taught himself how to play while everyone else at my school was learning how to play Rancid. And, mm. you know, and Kiers was playing like Eruption by Van Halen. I mean, I know you can play that on an acoustic <laughs> guitar, but um, yes, he I was can. learning yeah, shit yeah. like Van. He was just teaching himself how to play Van Halen and like Prince and shit like that. And, re and stuff that we didn't really listen to. Yeah. So I was more impressed with, at first, I was more impressed with my mate Tom who could play like Girl From Mars. But then actually I started realising that Kiers is a much better guitarist, but he didn't really like metal. 
that was the thing. He didn't really listen to metal at okay. all. He didn't like he didn't like Deftones. He didn't like Corn. He didn't like. He sort of didn't mind a bit of Rage Against the Machine, but he didn't really like metal. And Kiers is the Counting Crows fan, right? Yeah, that's he loves. Right? So okay. that's the okay. sort of shit that he really got into. Okay. Loves Elliot Smith's like his absolute favorite. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh He also likes your code name is Milo Renfrey. Very nice. Very nice. Mm. He sounds like a good and good person. He is a good person, and. Um, and the dance just came in one day and he was like, mate, I bought a bass because he'd been learning to play guitar. And he's like, I bought a bass and I've joined this band. And he started, he was in this grunge band for a bit mm. and they were so bad. They were really rubbish. I'm sure he won't mind me saying it, it wasn't really his fault. They were rubbish, but it's his first time playing the bass. Mm-hmm. And they had this guy fronting them called Ed Warner, who was a big fat bloke with a really, really, really high pitched voice. Mm-hmm. And Ed Warner was like <laughs> trying, to, trying to sing like Tomorrow by Silverchair. <laughs> his voice was so high, like Jason Perry high. Oh, like, wow. you know so Daz was like, I don't really want to be in this band. And he just sort of went, came around my house and he was like, why don't me, you and Kiers do a band? And Kiers was like, oh yeah, I'll do it. Kiers is really like, doesn't give a fuck about mm. anything really. He's like got mm. no motivation really to do. He's not that, he's not, he's not, he wasn't interested in being famous or, you know, he's not interested in making a sort of career out of it. He was just really good at the guitar and he liked playing guitar. And he was like, why don't we start a band? I'll get this guy. There's this kid in my little brother's year who's in a band. Daz's little brother joined a band at school and they, he saw his drummer. He's like, his drummer's really, really, really good. So he asked Martin, who was their drummer, who's sort of two, three years younger than us, do you want to come and jam with us? And we did it. Oh, and like I say, we just sort of covered Deftones and Life of Agony and Snot and System of a Down. And I think we tried to do Genius by Pitch Shifter, but oh, that wasn't very good. Um, and, and this, yeah, is, this just, is the summer of 98 we're talking here. Yeah, this would it? be yeah, sort of yeah, the yeah. early, early stuff. Okay. And then once we, I mean, I think we all started to change the sort of thing that we liked. Probably hearing Imprint, like hearing Imprint by VOD, hearing Shape of Punk to Come and hearing... Um, uh, El Diablo were really massive records because it was sort of like, oh shit, you know, like we can actually do something which is kind of a bit weirder and a lot heavier. You mm. know, it's a l- much, much heavier, but it's actually not necessarily loads more technical. Like listening to Slayer, like no one else in the band liked Slayer. I mm. was the only one who would give Slayer any attention at all. Slayer and Metallica and stuff like that, they just weren't interested in it. Mm-hmm. No one was mm-hmm. really that interested in you know, shit, this sort of shitty end of new metal. I was the only one who liked Limp Biscuit as well. I was the only one really who liked metal a lot. Like mm. Daz liked punk really. Martin just liked anything with weird drums on. So he'd listen to like fucking African drum music or propaganda because apparently their drum is really great or Nile just because the wow. drumming's good. Right, uh, right. And right. then Kiz just sort of liked old music really. So it was weird trying to go like, how, what, what, what do we sound like? And we didn't really know for ages. But that's, that's how we started. But that's what happens with most um, bands who are formed in school, isn't it? I mean, I remember I was in a three-piece mm. for a little while and my guitarist at the time, all he was interested in was pop punk, nothing else but pop punk. I wanted us to include elements of sort of grunge, but grunge was seen as a really old hat at the time. Uh, so my bandmates weren't interested. And our drummer 
um, was just obsessed with new metal and pretty much new metal and only new metal. So we had this really fucking weird amalgam. We never really figured out mm. who we were going to be, what we were going to do. And that was the band that I wrote Black Rose in. Hooray! <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is one of the worst songs ever. Um, so you released... Um, there were three demos slash EPs before uh, Angerod. Uh, the the full length debut from 2001. We're not going to go into them massively because a I haven't listened to the first two, uh, and b Thank you, God. you didn't want me to. Um, but no. memories of recording. Um, the first one's called Andy Steggles Face. The second is just 1999 demo, and then we have Overton Special. Then in brackets, very special. You do like brackets, the old Steggle, don't they? Um, yeah. Uh, memories of recording those three different EPs. Where they, where were they done? Who did them? Why do you hate them? <laughs> yada yada yada. Well, the first one was done in Kiers's bedroom. Right. Wow. Okay. Right. So it was literally he got a recorder and he recorded the whole thing in his bedroom. And in 1998, hmm. I mean, the quality of bedroom recordings then were i mean you get things now and you go oh it was recorded in the bedroom and you can make it sound professional oh yeah the you the, the re- recording technology has moved on enormously in the last 22 yeah. years yeah and we didn't have proper recording mics so i was using like um i was using an sm58 mic that i would sing live with uh-huh. to record that and i had the same headphones pretty much as i have in now right so I, i've just got a cheap shit pair of like wired headphones and i was using that to, and i was singing it in his bedroom okay as well okay so the result of it came out it was just we listened to it and we were like because we were like we should just do a demo we should just fuck it we can do a demo and it will sound as good as you know like a, it, you know it won't be great but it'll be it will be able to do it as a demo yeah um because we had no money and we were just like we 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 got it back and listen to it. And I remember hearing it and being like crushed, mortified at how bad it sounded. It really was awful. And I don't, I can't remember the last time I listened to it. And I have absolutely no, I mean, it sounded terrible in 1998. Mm-hmm. So Lord only knows what it sounds like now. Fucking absolutely abysmal, I'm sure. But it's rubbish. I mean, it sound, they all sound fucking really, really rubbish. And the mm-hmm. intros have got a stupid intro with me mm. pretending to talk to like Andy Steggel and we've pieced all of bits. Of, so Andy Steggel was a presenter on Meridian Sport. Meridian's like the local news channel. And he was just a loot. I think he's on, he worked for Sky Sports for a bit, but basically he was just your kind of archetypal, terrible local news reporter. And we were originally called Cunt Charlton was the uh, initial name of, of the band. Was called. Cunt Charlton. Our mate, our, our name, our mate Jason, who pops up a couple of times in various like uh, names of stuff. Um, his he used to call every he used to call everyone a cunt so much, and his surname was Charlton. He used to call everyone a cunt so much that his nickname became Cunt Charlton, <laughs> and we wanted and we wanted to name ourselves after somebody. And we right. were like, oh, we should be called we. And you know, you're fucking eighteen, and you think you're fucking hilarious. So yeah. we were like. We were going to be called Cunt Charlton. And then we were like, well, we can't have a band with the word cunt in the title. Mm. We'll mm. never get fucking, mm. you know, not that we really think about getting anywhere. But it's like, that is the fucking absolute death now. You mm. can't call yourself Cunt Charlton. So well, we were like, some, some people, we... some people won't even have you on bills if you have a name yeah. like that, you know, let, let alone, let alone getting even further than that. So, yeah. Yeah. So 
we were like, well, we can't be called Cunt Charlton. That's, that's, that's too much. And um, I just always loved the idea of, I think all of us thought it was really funny to be named after somebody of okay. some sort. There was, I mean, I actually, there was, I was annoyed because once we had the name, we've been doing it a couple of years. I remember the World Cup uh, in the 2002 World Cup. Or, yeah, because actually after Segal split up, sorry to jump way ahead, but we were going to start another band, me and Martin, the drummer, with Mikey from Skindred before mm. we joined Skindred. Mm. And we were either going to be called Hash and Shash, which is the Turkish winger. <laughs> Uh, or the Nigerian centre forward Pius Arcadia. So I think Pius Arcadia doesn't sound even sound like a a person. So you'd never know. But I was always like, if you're in a like name it after an actual person and name people after other things. Hence Bonjour. Oh, um, I see. Okay. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, never yeah, name yeah. a person a person's name, but always name a thing a yeah. person's name. I see. I see. I don't know why, but that's just how it sort of ended up. So we thought like Andy Steggall would be a really funny name for a band. Okay. And then so it it's not it's changed. not Steggall the Dinosaur. It is Andy Steggall. No. I see. It's, I named, see. it's named after Andy Steggall. Okay. And we thought, oh, we better change the um, spelling of it just in case he comes for us. So instead of being spelled S-T-E-G-G-A-L-L, which is how Andy Steggall's name is spelled, yeah. we spelled it S-T-E-G-E-L. And forever we were mispronounced uh, by pretty much every single person who we ever came into contact with. They mispronounced our name as Stegel or Stegel or whatever. Unbelievable. It's obviously Steggall. It's obvious. Um, but you didn't have a problem with calling the first demo Andy Steggall's face. That was okay. I don't think it was called Andy Steggall's face. I think somebody has called it Andy Steggall's face. Oh, I mean, I don't know where that's come from. I see. It was actually, it's just, it's Andy Steggall's face and it says Steggall. So it's just actually on the side, it just says Steggall. It's right? technically self-titled. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is there is, there is actually only about nine copies of that in existence. Right, 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 right. right. So... It's not, it was, it was never actually even released. I think we got it back, made a few copies of it and went, fuck, you know, this is awful. Let's make another one. And then um, our mate at Andover College, Ben Rowley, who was, um, do, was part of the crew who was doing all, who, when I did um, Limp Biscuits Faith, mm-hmm. uh, part of that crew, he was like, look, just come into the studio after college and I'll record your demo. I'll take your songs because he'd seen us live and he was like, you're actually good. He's like, I'll record you, definitely. Like, we'll do it and it'll be, you know, a proper thing. So we went into, like, the college studio and that's where we recorded the first demo. Uh-huh. Although he, again, was just a student and didn't really know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. again, it kind of came out pretty bad. And I think <sighs> the songs weren't really that great either at this point. So that's the sort of the first two demos. I actually quite, I really enjoyed recording the, the first demo, uh, the the demo, the Stegel 1999 mm-hmm. official mm-hmm. proper demo thing at like being in the recording studio, but none of us knew what we were doing. We didn't mm-hmm. have a fucking clue what we were doing. No overdubs, no, like it was just sort of done live basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. Bit by bit. And it was, you know, and it came out sounding kind of crap. There's no touching up or mastering or mixing or, you know, anything on it at all really. It's just as is wow okay okay uh and what about overton special very special so Overton special very special was sort of again we actually this time we did hire a proper studio it's the first time we actually hired a studio but we got our friends Ant and scott from the band amy 
um, who were like a local band that we liked, who were kind of a mixture of like, fuck, I don't know, really. They were sort of an emo, but they're kind of like Texas The Reason. They're kind of like a rap metal emo band. Okay. They're really they're a really weird band, but they're very good. Um, and um, so Ant and Scott were like, look, if you hire the studio, you can hire the studio and not hire the engineers and not hire the people to produce it. And it will save you money and we'll just come and produce it for you for free. And they actually worked at, um, at Scan. Do you know Scan? Who do, they do a lot of, they, they've become a really big company these days. They do, uh, but back then they were quite new. But they do, basically, they... they um, like computers? They're sound, they're, no, no, they're a sound company. They do, so they do like oh, live. Okay. They hire, they do, yeah. So if a band goes on tour, they hire Scan to do their whole backline and stuff. Cool. Yeah. And um, so that's what, I think that's what Scott and Ant uh, still do today. And... Um, but again, you know, they were 18, uh, mm-hmm. maybe 19 at the time. And they had never really, re- they, again, they recorded their first demo. And I think we heard the Amy demo and we were like, this sounds really fucking good, man. The Amy demo is great. So we were like, we'll go in with them and we'll record that and it will sound really, really good. And we'd written a whole new bunch of songs, which were, I mean, the first few songs that we've done on the demo are very much more kind of metal, new metal-y. Do you know what I mean? They were much more sort of bouncy and stuff. Whereas we'd written songs like Factory, the second, which is the first sort of proper song on it, mm-hmm. which was a bit more of a sort of drive-in, Will Haven-y, like an attempt to sort of be a bit more extreme. Mm-hmm. I think the main problem with that demo, and you've heard it, Renfrew, so you'll mm-hmm. be able to tell me, is I have a problem with the guitar sound. I have a big problem with the vocal sound, obviously, <laughs> uh, which I'll talk to you about in a minute. But I think those guitars they never sounded chunky or heavy enough to me and mm. i think kids was doing that deliberately because he was kind of writing heavy songs but he didn't really want them to be that heavy mm. and i think that's sort of the problem of the of, of everything really it's interesting though isn't it because sometimes that can sometimes that can make for something amazing i mean i've always argued this with uh mongol horde the guitarist of mongol horde like had no interest in punk or hardcore or anything like that before uh frank turner asked him to be part of the band but i think as a result of that they sound totally different from any other hardcore band because he's approaching it from a different kind of uh headspace i guess um uh i mean it sounds like a demo to me (laughs) Uh, but then that's exactly what i expected it to sound like um there are songs on it i think um is it albino uh it uh there's a couple of songs that appear on other compilations yeah Arcebo was a big one right yeah, that was on um that was on helping you back to work locked your records helping you back to work yes volume um, five mm-hmm. which uh is available on discogs for a very reasonable price i must say um how much uh, I think it's three pounds ninety nine or oh, something right. like that. I'm tempted okay. to pick yeah. it up. Uh, <laughs> there's also a, a great compilation. I love the name of this called "A Small Slice of Punkin Pie," as in punk. I don't know that. In oh well, you're on it, mate. <laughs> Let, me oh, just really? bring... <laughs> Let me just bring up the uh, Discogs thing a second. Um. Well, apparently, I mean, unless it's a different... Well, it's, Al, it's Albino by Stegel. It's the third song on it. Uh, it's also mm. got bands Dog Shit Sandwich, The right. Skywalkers, and Chester. And it appears to only be a six-track um, Farq on, release on Farq Records. 
compilation released uh, yeah. in 2000. Yeah. That does ring a bell. That does sort of <laughs> ring a bit of a bell, actually. I remember Fuck You Records. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, they picked the they picked the punky one then if they picked Albino because that's like okay. ninety seconds long. Yeah. Okay. A promo sampler for new label featuring some amazing bands. That's what the notes says uh, on the mm. Discogs page. Uh, that's available for a very reasonable two euros and seventy two cents. Although you do have to pay mm. pay four ninety uh, euro shipping. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about um, before we get onto the actual record that we're talking about today? Um, I think again, like we, so at this point, this is what I want to say at this point, I'd always used the headphones, mic stand, spit guards, mic singing into the mic yeah. stood up like what you see on when they do fucking live aid or whatever. Yeah. Not live aid, uh, band aid. <laughs> yeah. I'd been using that, that method mm-hmm. and it was always coming out and I was like, it's not heavy enough and it doesn't sound big enough and i need to and like but then we'd play live and i'd sort of cut the mic and all that and i think going into studio so basically we went in and we went let's cut the fucking because i think over and special very special has got you can hear that we've been listening to glass jaw quite a lot on that as well um <clears throat> we're like fucking cut the stand-up mic get rid of the sort of really really simple quite you know just sort of driving metal like swarm of bees guitar sounds mm-hmm. that Kears had mm-hmm. get rid of that try and put in some extra weird bits in the middle of everything mm-hmm. more like odd acoustic guitar parts and put bits and bobs here stop writing really you know just one riff songs and try and mix it up and uh, we were saying like let's not have any choruses at all on the next album let's get rid of choruses Let's write songs that don't. And there's a lot of like repetition on that that EP as well. Like you get a phrase, and unfortunately, actually, there is on the album as well. There's like you get a phrase, and you. But that was the t- I think that was the thing at the time. You know, mm. sloganeering, mm. fuck you, I didn't tell me, and all yeah, that. Yeah. Like, like there's a hell. Of, so there was a lot of that. So I was like, I'm gonna try and like cut back on that. Um, and that was really we were like, we need to just write better songs, and we need to actually find because we were fucking good live. Mm. Like we were we were fucking good live. I'm not gonna downplay that. When I say good. We were a, a interesting live. Definitely. It was a very chaotic show, from what you've told me in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it genuinely was. I'm not just sort of the one thing that I, even though I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound very good, and it was silly and whatever. The one thing that was cool about us was that we really were sort of <laughs> desperately antagonistic live. I mean, mm-hmm. that probably doesn't really surprise nope. many people. <laughs> Not surprised. But, um, I remember we, I think I said it before, I remember buying at Truck Fest. We played, we played Truck Fest and we were really, this, this is really fucking petty on our part, but we played on the sort of metal stage in a barn at Truck Fest in, I think it was like 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. maybe. And um, yeah, because we hadn't, we hadn't actually released the album yet, but I think it had been, or it was, no, no, we were going in to record it that summer. So we were, just before the album came out, we were going to um, go and do do this uh, festival show. And we'd been pl- we'd played Oxford a few times, and we had a quite a good rep in Oxford. Like we'd done some quite big gigs there. And we saw the like lineup for the day, and there was like three bands, and then there was us. And we were like, 
and one dice. I don't, do you remember one dice? Yeah, I remember like one Bristol dice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were he- they were headlining that stage, right? Mm-hmm. So one dice are headlining the stage, and everyone else, I was like, you know, there's a lot of bands here I haven't heard of, I don't really know about. But there's this one band, and they were kind of three piece sort of female, three girls, three sort of like sixteen year old girls, doing sort of, I guess like the one, two, three, four, fives. Is that they're called that? That sort of thing. Uh, four, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think they're called the four, five, six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, but it was that kind of like, like, glittery bubblegum pop, like grunge thing, mm-hmm. played by three really young girls, and they were going on directly after us, and we were so like, how? Why the fuck are they? they they've only done like one gig in Oxford, and they're why the fuck are they above us? Why are they above us on the bill? We should be above them. That's absolutely fucking ridiculous. So we were really, really pissed off, and we were like, let's make it impossible for them to to even be able to set up in the time between us finishing and them doing it because it's just on a bunch of crates and stuff yeah. so we played this gig and it was like the the barrier was just one iron rod tied bet- like between these two bar bits so i stood on the bar and i was jumping up and down the bar and bent the bar all the way down and halfway through i walked out of the barn i jumped over with the microphone still like screaming bought an ice cream came back and smashed it in our guitarist's face while we were playing. <laughs> so smashed an ice cream in the face. It was really, I think it was Laura's face. It's really, really genuinely pissed her off. I think I pushed Kiers into his amp and it was all these, and these crates and pallets were just, the whole stage was just falling apart. Right. And at the end, we just ditched, we did that thing where you just fucking throw everything down because you know, we're using other people's back lines, pushed everything over and just walked off oh. and just left, left these three 16-year-old girls to, tidy everything up and <laughs> go on and they were like on 20 minutes only got to play like four and we were just such asshole like now i'm saying it it's like what an asshole <laughs> like what what an absolute complete and utter asshole you you lot were you are the you but, are the band that all the sound guys complain about by the sounds of yeah, it basically they fuck it they used to fucking hate us <laughs> they used to absolutely fucking hate us um and yeah, so we 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 do that, but then people would come up to us afterwards and go like, "Oh my god, it's so funny because yeah. the sort of the second you played, you like ripped the curtain down, yeah, and, and yeah. like spat yeah. on it or something, yeah, or you like got on the bar, got on the bar." I remember we played in Southampton and there was a signed picture of a Matthew Letizia shirt. Matthew Letizia is the Southampton legend, mm-hmm. um, and I gobbed on it from uh, behind the bar, spat on it, and we had to leave straight away because oh. people people were like oh. you're going to, you can't you're gonna fucking die and the funny thing is is two of the band actually support southampton so they were really pissed off about it as well. <laughs> we had a big argument but yeah i was just a horrible <laughs> horrible cunt basically <laughs> and nothing's changed uh, <laughs> <laughs> so okay so um anger rod mm. what on earth is that title right okay so um martin our drummer yeah. his little sister had got a job working at a primary school uh-huh. and she was like a sort of teaching assistant at this primary school and one day she brought home all of these pictures she said to her her kids right draw a picture of your your house draw a picture of your family and this girl i mean i've actually got the album here framed in that um, oh wow 
which was done for me. Yeah, my mate, like Daz did that. And basically, she oh, drew. You can you can see that. Mm. Like I know you can't if you're listening, but that it's, that it's, picture. It's in a lovely frame where you've got the front cover, you've got the CD in the middle, and is it that is that the back, the back cover? cover. Mm. And it's got nice. the back cover. So the picture, which was the front cover, which says Angerod, is like a kind of cow stood up. Yes. Right. Sort of. So yes. It's like a, it's, it's like, like a child's sort of, a child's drawing, child's scrawl yeah. kind of yeah yeah. So this this girl drew this picture and it was like a draw your family and it was a cow, <laughs> that cow, and on the back and then she also behind it drew her house on fire, right? <laughs> and underneath <laughs> it she'd written so her name is Ang Harrod, which is we didn't know this for years, oh, but right. Ang Har- Ang is a Welsh name, right? But yes, it because is. Because she'd scrawled it, it looked like anger rod, right? <laughs> um, so we were like, "Oh, it's the anger rod. It's the anger." And she and Martin's sister was really freaked out by this picture this little girl had drawn. And Martin saw it and was like, "Look at that! How weird!" And he brought it to band practice. He was like, "My sister," and he told us the story and was like, "Look how look at this weird kid." And we were like, "That's the fucking album cover. That's brilliant. <laughs> we're gonna call it the anger rod." And then we got this book and we made this fake book on the inside cover and it's got like the it's like tales from old overton and because everything was about like we used to say we are stegall from the mean streets of overton hampshire and we'd always go on about being like overton hardcore we'd always talk about overton all the time so we um we wrote this story about the anger rod and it was about this monster that lived in and we used real street names and we used real stuff and we made it look like a proper book we photocopied it and we made this is very and Creeper. Yeah, yeah. Because Creeper wrote Creeper wrote a book about James Scythe for a t- uh, eternity yeah. in your arms. So, yeah. so they and nicked so, the idea off of you. Is that what you're saying? Mate, well, it's a bit different. We said, like, if you go up the Harrow Way, which is, like, the nearest sort of fields to where we live. Right. Um, and we used, like, we said, like, a young boy named Robert Wickey, who was someone who was in our year at school, walked up there one day and saw the monstrous creature, the anger rod. And when it opened its mouth, it was said it's a scream. And you get basically you you're deaf if you hear the voice of the anger rod you're deaf and we said we are trying to become the musical version of the scream of the anger rod that was the whole sort of you know story behind the artwork Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i I mean fucking stupid it's a bold move uh, it's a very bold move. Obviously, I was going to ask you about the artwork because it's a children's drawing. It's a child's <laughs> drawing. Um, I guessed it was an aardvark. I wasn't sure. I didn't realise it was a cow. Um, but yes. It's well, I a... don't know. Who knows what it actually is? Mm, mm. It's the anger rod. It's that girl's... It's whatever that little girl Ang Harrod is. It's her family. If only I'd, if I'd known, I would have try to seek her out and see if i could ask her a few questions about it like <laughs> like the kid on the front of never mind <laughs> yeah. get your dick out mate <laughs> getting that swimming pool oh, i wouldn't have said that <laughs> to her uh, <laughs> that would have been a bit harsh <laughs> oh wow okay okay so the anger rod is a uh, uh creature a fake creature i suppose um mm. you were called bry around this time why yeah i know it's my middle name <laughs> Oh, it's Brian, your middle name. Yeah, my dad's called Brian, so I'm Stephen Brian Hill. Oh. Is, and and there was, when we were in about year 10, everybody, suddenly one day, we all got asked what each other's middle names were. Okay. And it stuck for some people. Anyone who got, who got annoyed by it, 
Like my mate Stu, his middle name is Crossland. Stuart Crossland. Stuart Crossland weird. Webster, right? I know, what a weird name. And we mm. were like, Crossland? But he was just like, yeah, I don't know. But they were like, all right, Crossland. And he'd be like, huh. And he just didn't give a shit. Whereas when people were like, all right, Bri, all right, Bri. And I got really, fu- and I was like, don't fucking call me that. And I got really <laughs> fucked off. So the more that I got pissed off by it, the more people called me it to the point where I just had to accept it. Well, that and was an early people... life lesson then, wasn't it? That it was, was a life yes, lesson yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Don't get annoyed uh, when people Don't get annoyed. Stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> you've really taken that on board, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should remember that when I'm arguing with Joe Nan on Twitter about the Beatles or something, do you know what I mean? And, um, Don't get annoyed, Bri. <laughs> uh, and there are le- le- legitimately people in like like Alan Day. Yeah. I so when I stopped being in the band and I went on to drama school and I did like stand up and do all that stuff. And I bumped into Alan Day, who used to put us on in Oxford. And he and I hadn't seen him for about eight or nine years. And he was like, Oh my god, all right, Bri. And my girlfriend at the time was like, Why is he calling you that? And I had to sort and I emailed him. And I was like, all right, mate, how you doing? You know, like you said, we talked. And he was like, who is this? And because my email is Stephen Hill, <laughs> he genuinely didn't know. He did no idea that my name was Stephen. He had apps. There are people who have who had no idea from the scene. He had no idea. Like Dan from Skin Dread always goes, I can't get, like, he feels weird. I think even now, I, whenever I go, I see Dan and he introduces me to someone, he always goes, oh, this is my friend, um, Stephen. <laughs> Steve, what is it? <laughs> And he doesn't, he can't, he can't do it. I think you Mikey, told. I think Mikey from Sixth just, just got used to it. Yeah, yeah. Like, you were telling me the like other. 15 years. <laughs> you were telling me the other day that Mikey from Sixth used to call you Bri all the time as well. Um, okay. Uh, mystery solved. Um, so Angerod was released on Cat and Cakey Records in 2001. Now I assume mm. Cat and Cakey Records was, um, your own imprint because it doesn't seem to have any other releases on it. Is that true? It does. Oh, it does, does it? It's got lots. Oh, yeah. oh, Dead okay. After, so what's Dead uh... After School? We're on Cat and Cakey. Chillerton, we're on Cat and Cakey. Placid Storm, okay. We're on Cat and Cakey. Jets, Jets versus Sharks. I believe uh, there is a November Coming Fire single on Cat and Cakey. There's a the, it, Cat and Cakey did. You're absolutely um, right. I'm so sorry. I fucked this up. Uh, yeah. God, Jets versus Sharks. I had no idea you were on the same label as Jets versus Sharks. That's amazing. Placid yeah, we, Storm. We are zero, zero, 001. Mm. Yes, you are zero, zero, 001. I think that's probably why I got confused. So you're the first release on Cat and Cakey Records. That's yeah, fair to say. It was, it was, it was formed. Um, it was formed to uh, basically put this out. Mm-hmm. But then we carried on putting... I mean, you know, it, it went on long after... Uh, the band split up uh the last release i can see here is from a band called fighting shit uh yeah. which was released in 2006 they were great fighting shit yeah yeah they were really good that sounds about right yeah there's some cool bands good clean, good, you, good clean fun are on there yeah good clean fun there's a band called you me and the atom bomb a band called fuck mm-hmm. with fire lots of bands with swear words in there i, I think you would have been fine with um cunt whatever Cunt it was <laughs> Cunt Charlton. Yeah. fighting shit by the way are fu- fighting shit are fucking great in fact actually looking at it kill winter and placid storm mm. are both sort of goth punk bands and okay. they would have been i mean that that would have been the time when 
Will from Creeper used to come to Overton and watch bands and Placid Storm and Kill Winter would have been a right bit of him. I think actually mm. Send More Paramedics came down one day and played with Placid Storm. Oh, and nice. it was all this kind of like gothy punk thing happening. So yeah, it was chilling. Are you when all else fails? Mm. Well, Jets versus Sharks and Steggle, obviously, was actually a band I had heard of. So that's cool. Um I don't did I ever see Jets versus Sharks? I can't remember. But I knew I I knew of Jets versus Sharks. Um so so the label was formed for this Steggle release and then went on to do yeah. 14 releases by the looks of it. Uh mm-hmm. in total. That sounds about right. Um There is currently one copy of Angerod on Discog, Discog Steve. Do you know right. this? Do you know how much it's no. selling for? Six pounds. The copy of Angerod that is currently on Discogs is for sale for £99. Fucking hell. <laughs> really? Yeah. Fucking hell. I'm going to text Daz. He's got about 200 of his mum's fucking... <laughs> in his mum's loft. Yeah. It's 99 pounds. We're, we're sitting on about 20 grand. <laughs> Sandal Records are selling it. They've got a 100% rating. Five out of five right. uh, from 590 ratings. It's coming from the UK. No extra shipping. So, you know, bargain. Uh, it's in very good condition. So it's not brand new. Uh, it says replaceable case may have some marks. CD and in- insert are fine. I mean, I'll be the judge of that. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> How the fuck can he justify £99? I know. That? It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Absolutely yeah. mental. 99 quid. Uh, he's got. He's selling a Daniel Johnston album on there for 35 quid as well. But then you can pick up... Le- <laughs> you can pick up oh, You can pick up Lemon Jelly for £2.95. <laughs> and PJ Harvey for £3.95. I'm genuinely bemused at why he thinks that that CD is worth £99. I, I have no idea. I mean, I was this close to buying it. I'm... I'm Putting my fingers together, very, 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 uh, a very, very small amount. But um, fuck me, can, we we need another thirty patrons before Renfrey can afford to <laughs> do anything near <laughs> buying a Stegel album. Ninety nine quid, isn't that extraordinary? Um, for the record, I checked mine on Discogs, and there's one for sale for four pounds. <laughs> so you're doing better than me <laughs> in that, that respect. Um, but yeah, ninety nine quid. Um, so he's eight... never selling that. No, he's not. Never. No, I mean, <laughs> okay. Well, actually, maybe I should say this now. So I've listened to this record quite a bit over the last uh, week or so. And um, obviously, you know, you're a little bit, you've been a bit nervous about doing this. I'm a bit nervous about you um, uh, doing mine. But I have to say, I was listening to this and I was trying to think, if we received this as a debut album from a band and we were choosing to, you know, trying to figure out whether to review it on Riot or not. As we said before, I tend to choose the releases for the albums. You tend to contribute a little bit here and there, but it's usually me who's putting the bulk of them together. I think if I'd heard this, I think I would have said we should cover this on Riot I really do. Really? Certainly, certainly at the time. Um, Ah, wow. He, but but it's a little bit unfair to to go i mean you know this is an album recorded in 2001 and it has mm. particular 2001 quirks to it which we'll get into mm-hmm. but <clears throat> you know i mean 
even 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 with those quirks, it just sounds a little bit. I mean, there was a band, was it Frail Body that we did quite recently, which has kind yeah, of yeah. quirks from you know the time a while ago, and some sometimes it can be seen as quite a good thing or a bad. You know, it's it's. I don't. I think. I definitely think there's enough on here for us to have reviewed it. I think we would have given it an all right review as well, bearing in mind it's a debut record and all that kind of thing. You know, we tend to be a little. Well, we, I think everyone generally is just a little bit nicer to debut albums because it's like a new thing and yada 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 yada. But yeah. I genuinely think we would have reviewed this, and not only do I think we would have reviewed it, but I think we would have given it a relatively good review. I also think I, I think there are bits and pieces that we would have pointed out and been like, "This is a little bit strange, a little bit of an odd decision <laughs> here and there." Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of um, there's eight tracks. <clears throat> Only six of them have vocals on. A little bit lazy of you, Steve, but that's fine. Um, but there are some really... Well, that was imposed upon me. That was imposed upon me. Oh, okay. Go on. Go on. Yeah. How, why was that then? Well, we just... Well, you know, a, a bit like Bosk. Um, <laughs> it was sort of like the uh, early Bosk, basically. Um, I mean, the f you say there are eight tracks. The first track is, is an instrumental intro. Yes. And tr the other track that doesn't have vocals on is basically like we split up one song basically ah uh, so it so track seven queero and track eight nimium it's meant to be queero nimium it was originally the name of the song and it was ah. that was actually just one song oh, okay. but we decided to split it because we were like well look it takes a fucking age before i come in on the before everybody comes in in fact mm -hmm, mm -hmm, on the mm -hmm. on the on the the sort of heavy part so we should probably just break it up a bit. Mm. Um, I really like Nimium. Nimium is the final it's... track. It's 10 minutes long, mm. so it's a bit of me, isn't mm. it? Uh, you yeah. think you're tall or something. It's longer than anything you've ever done, Renfrey. It is longer than anything really? I've who, ever done. Who yeah. would have thought that I'd be the one doing <laughs> the like 10 minute long fucking weird one? But it's actually, well, it is my favourite track on the record. Mm. Um, it really uh, goes into some sort of Earth Tone... I I'm assuming it was Earth Tone 9 that was a big influence on this. It just sounds very Earth Tone 9 to me. Or maybe it was just Yeah, tall. probably probably Tool as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think Tool and Earth Tone 9. Um, I remember... I mean, it's like... To be honest with you, I can take absolutely no credit for that song at all, really. Because... I remember getting it. So what would happen is Kears would write the song. Like Kears basically wrote everything. He would write the song and he'd come up with a song and then he would go and book rehearsal space with Martin and they would work out kind of rhythmically how it was going to go. Mm -hmm. And they would record it, just guitar and drums. And then they'd sort of go to Laura and Daz and go, okay, this is what we want you to do. Mm -hmm. Um and then they'd come and they'd kind of basically learn the song and then they'd tape it and then they'd give it to me and I'd put vocal tracks on it. Usually, I have to say as well, before you we start getting into some of the lyrics, I didn't write most of the lyrics. I fucking oh. didn't write. I wrote, I wrote about 30% of the lyrics on, um, on our our, in our in in our discography and richie but edwards wrote the other 70 percent <laughs> richie edwards wrote the rest of them yeah he's <laughs> <laughs> just um, been hiding like him daz, in overton <laughs> yeah daz actually wrote all the um 
because I started by trying to be, I was like, oh, great, I get to be a vocalist and I get to sort of say something. And then I just couldn't, I'd get a song and I'd go, oh, God. And I, I could kind of come up with vocal patterns, but then I was like, oh, I don't know how to make things rhyme. And too much of it rhymed. I was always like, this is fucking rhymes. Mm. Like, it's like I'm trying to, like, I, and I couldn't get a way around thinking about the song without, but then Daz would go, look, let me write some lyrics. Mm-hmm. And he'd come back and it would just be a mess of stuff. And I'd go, mm, I reckon I can turn take that line and that line there or that couplet there and I can fit it in there. So for the most part, I just came up with a sort of vocal patterns and he came up with the lyrics. And he'd give me like two or three sheets of lyrics and I'd just cherry pick out of it. So there are songs that I do not know what the songs are about. You are describing Ooh. the manner that the lyrics were written uh, for uh, St. Anger, more or less. <laughs> Which yeah. was written two years later. So yeah, yeah. are you trying to claim yeah. that Metallica took a look at the Steggall record and went, we want to do it like that? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> if they did, it does sound like they haven't really paid much attention to anything. <laughs> anger. So it's possible. But um, but the, actually saying that, the one song that I did write lyrics for all the way through that is just mine is actually Nimian. Oh, okay, okay. All right, so tell us what yeah. Nimium's about, if you don't mind. So, yeah, well, I mean, so we got this song and I'd always get stuff and I'd go, wow, man, Kiz is really good. He's really good at, like, you know, the the all the stuff I said about let's not have verses and let's put weird parts in there. And actually, when you listen to it, it's kind of, an, sometimes it's quite annoyingly disjointed because there are no choruses and things come in and they never come back again. And just to interject there, one of the reasons Nimium's my favorite is because it's, I actually would agree with that, but Nimium mm. is one of my favorites because it doesn't sound like that. It doesn't, it never feels like it goes off into a, another part before it should do before you're, before yeah. you're satisfied with having heard that part enough times, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and we would, I mean, if you think when you put the kind of the first bit on before, so he's like, all right, here's the first bit, but I don't want you to sing over that. And then mm. he was like, and then you have to have, so there's, we never used to play the, it starts with just a chord going, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 and we were like, do we really need it to go that long? And in the studio, actually, the, um, uh, Steve Watkins, the producer was like, I, d- I really don't think you should have it go that long, just a guitar chord mm. with nothing else. Mm. I don't think you should do that. And Kiers was like, no, no, it has to be like that. It has to be like that. And I don't know why, like, who knows why he was desperate to have it be like that. But I remember being like, you know, he's, uh, but he came in. I remember dad saying to me like, oh, Kiers has written this song and it's 10 minutes long. And he's going to put like a sort of, you know, um, electronic orchestral bit at the end. And he's got this little like weird outro that he's come up with and stuff. And I was like, yeah, he was like, it's just, he's like, I've never heard anything like anyone from our scene has never written anything like this song. It's fine. And we, I was like, oh, right, okay. And I got it and I was just like, fucking hell. Like, it's, it, 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 there was a, a chat initially of it going like, I, I was like, I'm not sure I can put any lyrics to this. I think this is sort of enough on its own mm-hmm. without, because I was like, if I come in, just start shouting over it. <laughs> which is pretty much what I do anyway. But if I just come in and start shouting over it and I get it wrong, it's going to ruin it. It's going to ruin all of this. And I was like, and the thing is, I was like, it's 
a really, really interesting song. And that's why the 10 minutes, I think I'm only on like four and a half minutes of it. Yeah. I don't come in for, I don't come in for like 90 seconds and then I'm gone again, like another three and a half minutes afterwards and I'm, I'm out. And I just remember listening to it and going, I can't really, I can't really, there's, there's things on this, which I just don't want to touch. I just don't want to touch them. But the bit in the middle that I did think, well, like, we're going to have some lyrics on it and we have to do it. And Daz was like, do you want me to write some lyrics and stuff? And I was like, no, I might have a go at doing it myself. So I was listening to it and I, I just, I felt like we needed to to have something sort of make it sort of, I wanted it for a song as big as that, that I was actually like, this is, if everything else is shit, we'll have this mm. and it will be, no one will be able to take that away. Like it would get this right and it will fucking, I want it to actually mean something. So there was a guy who I went to school with uh, called Robert Hack. I hope people don't mind me saying. And he had committed suicide about three or four months beforehand. And he had this really like, so my mum was friends with his mum and he's, he's a couple of years below me, but he used to come around my house when his mum would come around. And he was just like, he was just a really nice kid, mm. right? And his dad died mm -hmm. when he was young. And then his mum had a lot of problems with alcoholism. And he also had something quite bad happen to him when he got to sort of 17. He had, he was in a, in an, an abusive situation. Mm -hmm. Something quite bad happened to him. Um, and he was left some money after his dad died and he kind of frittered away this money. And I, we had done a gig in our, in our village and about, and, and after we'd packed up, he was sitting, like people used to just sit in the village afterwards and he was there and I hadn't seen him for ages. And he was going to me like, oh, what are you doing? I was like, oh, we're in the band and stuff. And he was going, I'm out of work at the moment. And I've, you know, I've, I've somebody, had, he bought like the last bit of money I had from his dad. He, somebody had bought, um, he'd, he'd bought a scooter. So he bought like a little moped thing to go around on and somebody had stolen it while he was in Basingstoke so he had to mm -hmm. walk back from Basingstoke which is like 8 miles at like 1 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and one day he just went missing and he'd gone up to the woods and he just hanged himself and I was just like I remember thinking fucking hell man like there is no way that that is any kind of life for anyone to have lived do you know what I mean? It's like such a fucking, just an, a really short, really tragic, really horrible life for someone to have led. And somebody who was like, just a, like a, a really nice kid, like a really, really nice kid. And I just sort of sat down and I thought, I feel like I want to write something about how, you know, I remember just meeting this young kid and now he's, gone through all this awful stuff and now he's sort of gone mm. um and so i just sort of tapped into that while i was writing it a bit and it's sort of basically that's what that song's about basically mm. from my from my end um which i'm not sure you get and i don't even think i've ever said that to anyone ever but um i'm not sure you would get that from listening to it but that is basically what it's about I, I, I mean, I certainly can see it um, uh, now that you've said it. There is a, you know, there's a line that, because I hope you don't mind me repeating your lyrics, but there is a line, surely mm. your life must be better than no life at all, uh, which makes sense as, you know, um, 
as to what you're saying and things like that. And um, yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I have a similar song, which we might talk about um, on yeah. my one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you can tell that loads and loads of work has gone into that song. I think a lot of bands are quite guilty of that on a first release sometimes when they have one or two songs which are like, oh, that is really, really, really good. Um, and for me, like Nimium, like listening to it, I mean, if it had been, you know, produced a little bit better and sounds and came out like now and things like that, I, I'd I'd be like, this is a really good song. You know, this is really, really good. And it's definitely a highlight of the record. I mean, it is, uh, for me, it's comfortably the best song on the album. Yeah, it um, definitely is, yeah. Yeah. Um, although, I will say, I do really like Batman costume as well. Ah, okay. uh, which is the yeah. first proper song on it. Um, I mean, you seem to, I mean, whether it was you or Daz, who's massively ahead of their time, you seem to have... Uh, have some clairvoyant skills or something because th if i'm not mistaken this song is about the abuse of power by the police force is it not mm. yeah it is yeah. how very 2020 of you i know <laughs> 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 that's what i mean you know or very 1992 i'm being facetious <laughs> yeah, yeah but yeah. go on well yeah I, I think it is i mean i, I can't even remember half the lyrics on it now but i do know sort of basically what most of the songs are sort of about i think but yeah batman costume is i mean we took the name from a ludicrous story we got told once um but it sort of does fit as well because that like we don't somebody got their car nicked outside of our um rehearsal room once we used to get fucking shit from people. we used to book our rehearsal room in the in the center of the village on a friday night mm. so while a load of like 19 20 year olds were out getting pissed or whatever we like the fucking nerds we were would be you know in covering desire to fire by machine yeah yeah uh, at like nine o'clock at night 10 we often night. yeah we often had rehearsal friday night yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and we'd get drunk fucking pricks from the village coming in and just being like all right boy what are you doing fucking yeah. rocker yeah rock on guys rock on and then and they just would be shitty to us and mm. then one so we'd like lock the door and we draw the curtains and we make sure that no one could come in eventually that's what we started doing and one day we did this sort of you know rehearsal we had this practice session and we came out and we were taking our stuff out and this and somebody had their car nicked and it turns out it was my cousin that had their car nicked from the car park outside our rehearsal space because oh, okay. i didn't know that at the time but this policeman came up to us and was like where have you not been and we we're like oh we've been in there and he was like don't look at him and i just sort of turned i, I turned around daz and went oh we've been, have you seen anyone we we're like no no we've been in there the whole time oh well, if you've been in there the whole time then you'd have seen who took that car wouldn't you and it was basically sort of insinuating that we'd taken the car and took all of our names and took all of our numbers and was just a right cunt. And I think Daz wrote, like, basically, like, as a sort of 20-year-old, like, aren't the police fucking wankers? Mm. Just on, on the sort of strength of that one incident. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's, quite, it's quite funny that, you know, um, that that happened. But yeah, it is. It's basically like fighting the police, isn't it? prime time for a reunion i would say <laughs> what with all this yeah. black lives matter stuff going on and things like that i mean this is oh, a yeah. perfect with the voice that is needed <laughs> for black lives matter isn't it? Yeah, yeah i agree um the first song boona uh is it boona is that how you pronounce it yeah um i mean considering how much you've gone in on nightwish for being hey nonny nonny it's a little bit um 
little bit hypocritical of you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so it starts with this intro, which is very kind of, it's quite folksy. Bluegrass. Yeah, it's yeah, bluegrass. bluegrass. I was quite um, surprised. It was not what I was expecting to come in. Um, but was there a kind of feeling that you wanted to start the record with something that people wouldn't have been expecting? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. I think they're definitely they're a lot. Of, I mean, you know, I said to you before, our name is not on the cover. Mm-hmm. It's only written down the side on the back. The, the track listing's not on the back. Right. It's in. It's got like when you open it up, the track listing is on the inside cover and there's binary behind it. So you can barely even read it. Oh, right. Um, it's such a fucking, again, like just deliberately difficult, fucking stupid bastard record. And <laughs> we thought like, you know, what's, what makes more sense than putting a kind of mandolin um, bluegrass thing at the start of the record for, what was it, like a nice minute, two minutes? Uh, it's a minute and 14 seconds. Yeah, a minute and 14 seconds. So, you know, it's a good, like, which doesn't sound very long, but when you're expecting like a sort of metalcore band or hardcore band, a minute and, you know, 75 seconds of mandolin folksy, you know, twangly stuff is that does actually feel like quite a long time and there's a lot of stuff in this where i go fucking hell we really didn't help ourselves at all i don't quite like that i i love it i think it's great i don't think it was the done thing to do at the time certainly um having an intro song before the first song proper i mean that was fucking everywhere at the time um far more of a kind of new metal thing than what you guys were going for um yeah but to have it, but usually it would be an intro song like um the 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 intro track on Slipknot, or uh, mm. I don't know, it would be something weird like someone just being like like horror movie samples or something like that. It wouldn't be like wouldn't necessarily be a song, quote unquote. Um, and mm. I really liked this. I I like the fact that it's all blue grassy and then makes Batman costume so sound so much heavier it's like we say dynamics actually that's another thing dynamics this record is surprisingly dynamic <laughs> which i was not <laughs> expecting i was kind of expecting i mean that's another reason why i think we'd give it a relatively good review if it came in you know and 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 it wasn't you on vocals i'm not saying because your vocal performance is bad i mean i'm saying yeah. <laughs> you know because yeah, yeah. obviously you can't review yourself but you know i think um it, it is actually a re- like it's a lot more dynamic than some of the shit that we get these that you know from other like heavy acts and metal bands and stuff like that there's a lot of good stuff going for it uh it's got some silly names i mean i am curious got lots of silly names i'm curious to know what the story behind bernie's hair machine is well we did a gig in croydon and it was an all day and we parked up to load our stuff in and there was a place called bernie's hair machine <laughs> um which is a barber's called bernie's hair machine in croydon and we just thought it was fucking like the stupidest name ever. So we were like, we 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 wanted. I was if you notice, we wanted we wanted initially every song to begin with B. Uh. Weird, like I don't know why we thought. Oh, would it be really funny if every song begins with B? But initially we were like so. And then we sort of just dropped it after, <laughs> yes. after like we'd written after we'd written like four or five songs. We just dropped it and went. Now we're not going to. So do you've that got Boona, Batman costume. Baruda Nikto? Barada Nikto. Barada Nikto. Okay, there's something behind that yeah. as well, isn't there? I don't I, I actually don't, don't know, know what that okay. is. I didn't write I didn't write the lyrics or okay. come up with the title for that. Uh Bernie's hair machine and Bluff Tony. Can you tell me anything about yeah. Bluff Tony? Because that 
I think Bluff Tony is the weakest song on the record, personally. Do I think, you? Uh, it was a, yeah, we actually dropped that after. So we played it live a few times. And mm. um, and actually, Carl from Earth Tone 9 said he really liked it because we debuted it. So just before we went to um, record this album, so we went in to record on the Monday. Um, uh, and on the Friday, we played with Earth Tone 9. We played with Forever Until October and Earth Tone 9 at the corn exchange in newbury which mm-hmm. is pretty much the biggest venue that we played regularly it's about six seven hundred capacity venue and we'd written these songs and some of the and you know and we just didn't we weren't really feeling bluff tony we were like oh, it just feels a bit like not as good version of nimium i thought and so it's six and a half i was minutes. like look uh it's yeah all, it's and i was like look minutes, but... yeah and 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 we'd written but we'd written that first Right. So Nimium was like the last song that we wrote for the record. Um, so we've written Bluff Tony and we were like, yeah, yeah. But then Kiz was like, I think I can do a better version of this. I think I can make something more interesting, which he did. And we got Bluff Tony and we never played it live. We'd been rehearsing it and we knew we were going to record it. And I said, look, we've got to play it before we record it. We've got to at least try it out in front of people. And so we played it once with Earth 09. And Cole Middleton said, oh, I really like that new song you played. And um, <laughs> name drop and um <laughs> yeah so we we played it once and then we recorded it and when we got it back we were like that is the that is the weakest that feels like the the most unnecessary song on the record um i do think it is a little bit long if i'm being totally honest um yeah, but is. but uh i i actually i'm with carl from uh earth tone nine i actually quite like bluff tony i think it's quite good maybe it's just because oh. i like long songs um my least mm. favorite is uh baruda oh say it again baruda nikto Barada Nicto. Barada yeah, Nicto. that 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 is right. One of my the most frustrating things about this record because we actually did before we went in, we did we demoed Batman costume, Mister Fight Boy, Barada Nicto, and Bernie's Hair Machine. We actually did demos of them, right? Mm-hmm. And we did them again um, uh, at the college where we recorded the Stegel 1999 demo. But this time, Kiz did it himself. And we were like, right, we're going to try with a handheld mic. And we got a version that, we, and we, we brought them into the studio in Oxford. And we were like, this is obviously not as good, but this is kind of what we want to sound like. And the demo version of Barada Nicto is so much better, so much better yeah, okay. than the version that you hear on Angerod. And I'll tell you for why. There are two reasons. Firstly, um, Steve Watkins, the producer, for something like we, it got slowed down. So when we used to play it live, we used to play it at like at twice the speed of the, that recorded version you play it mm-hmm. that you hear on on, on, on this uh, album. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit in it, which was my always my favourite bit of the set, where it goes, it's a proper like Will Haven. And we always used to go, fucking like it just everything cuts out. And this big riff, just this big like, riff comes in. And we used to just, and it's just really kind of propulsive. And we used to go, fucking mental all five of us at the, at the point where that would come in and i always loved how that sort of propulsive bit came in and it was would go fucking mental the this is my fucking fault that this song sounds like this right and i wish we basically did them in order we did the vocals in order mm-hmm. when it came to nimium i was he the, the producer steve watkins at uh, warehouse studios in oxford um he said to me like oh do this and do like do that and i was like no i know exactly what i want this to sound like i don't need you to change it i'm not doing it but with barada nitu because he did have some good ideas about like underdone the dubbing and layering 
that song is not meant to be like a kind of rapped song. Mm. But he kept going like, you got to really enunciate every word and do it like it's a rap. And I was like, okay, he, you know, he's been good. He knows what's best. So that's what I'm going to do. But the original, the other version that we had on the demo is much more kind of, is much more sung and it, and sung and shouted. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it just feels like more like a kind of like spoken word. Like this feels like a kind of OTT spoken word thing. And it was the thing that everybody in the band, when we got it back, was like, oh no, that's such a good song. And it sounds shit like mm. the version on the on the on the album sounds fucking shit and we were weird and they were like and it is no offense but it's your vocals and i was like well you know also maybe if you'd played it at the speed that we play it live then it would have i wouldn't have had to elongate every single word and pronounce every word mm. so we did have a bit of back and forth about that because i was like you've played it really slow which meant i have to go uh and it was you know like that propulsive bit just didn't come out and yeah i'm not i'm it's annoying because i actually think that like when we played that live it used to be one of the best songs we did it was oh great. interesting but, okay but the recorded version i fucking hate it yeah i am i'm with you it's just shit. goes to show you can't always capture it can you um there is an mm. interesting again uh it sounds like beyonce was uh listening though to um to Stegel because uh there is a line you may have pulled the plug but don't commit to rings on fingers which she obviously nicked and uh mm. Uh, molded into her own kind of big hit. Yeah, do you know what? I don't even know what that song's about anymore. So really? I don't think it's got anything to do with. It's definitely not about relationship. We d- I've never written a love song. Hmm. So, so, uh, yeah. Who knows? Fuck knows. What I, I genuinely don't know what the song's about. I think Beyonce. Maybe Beyonce, Beyonce would know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beyonce's yeah. hook is better. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. I think it's fair. I, to I, say. I can live with that. I can live with being the second best ring on finger bass hook in the history of music. <laughs> um, so you you've talked about the producer a little bit. Um, it sounds like was there a bit of to and fro with the production stuff on here? Because I think what I would say about this, um, kindly, it sounds like it was recorded in two thousand and one. It sounds like mm. it was a well. It sounds like it was recorded cheaply in two thousand and one. It sounds like a lot of stuff that I was listening to at the time. I mean, you know, the early Hundred Reasons stuff and things like that, yeah. or the early. It sounds like a lot of early Ruben demos and stuff like that in the way that it's been recorded. Mm. And there are a couple of um, minor leftovers from the new metal period, I think, in the production, less so in the songwriting, but in the production and things like that. But what were the yeah. um, what was the to and fro process with the production well i don't so when we went into meeting right we brought i think i've said this before we brought a copy of white pony and Mm. we brought a copy of jane doe right and we went get hit the middle of that wow that's what we were going for it's not very ambitious get the mid well you know fuck (laughs) no i'm joking yeah 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 um you know, and we were like, well, fuck it. We might as well be ambitious. And yeah. we were like, we want the heavy bits to sound like this. And we want the kind of ethereal bits to sound like that. Now, I knew that we weren't going to get it to sound like White Pony. Mm. And we probably weren't really going to get it to sound like Jane Doe. But the sort of the point, you know, the purpose and the point was like how, you know, forget about fucking new metal. Do you know what I mean? Like we'd, I'd heard a bunch of, bands that he had produced and he produced a lot of the sort of local bands from a few years before who were playing new metal 
and who were, you know, clearly going for... At this point, we really had absolutely no commercial ambitions whatsoever mm. to get in, in Kerrang! or to get in... You know, it just... That didn't happen. In 2001, that did not happen mm -hmm. to British bands. Mm -hmm. It was impossible. Yep. So we were looking at Earth Tone 9 and going like, maybe if we just re if we make something that's just really good, mm. a bit like what happened with um, Low Definition Discord. They did it for 600 quid. Yeah. It, it had withered on it. It you know, doesn't sound amazing. It's certainly mm. not as good as Art Tangent. Nope. But we were like, if we can make something that's that good, a few people might go, fucking hell, have you heard this? This is really, really good. And you never know. We yep. might get a good review in Kerrang, which we did get anyway, so that was good. But bringing it into this guy who was not aware, we talk about Glassjaw, we talk about Converge, we talk about Wilhaven, we talk about this and that. And he would sort of, he was actually a really good producer and he had good ideas. He would talk about Faith No More to us quite a lot, which I was always like, great, Faith No More. No, no one else in the band, apart from Laura, I think, actually liked Faith No More. No one else in the band liked Faith No More at all. They were like, no, they're just some fucking old funk metal band, whatever, mm -hmm. which is, you know, stupid. But, and he knew Tool, but he didn't know anything about hardcore and he didn't really understand. Like, we were giving him a Deftones album mm -hmm. and it's a year after not even a year, I don't think, just over a year after, yeah, about, because uh, it's just had its 20th anniversary as we record. So, yeah, it was just like, it was about sort of 13 months since White Pony had come out. Mm. And Linkin Park were massive now, and Papa Roach were massive mm. now, and Deftones were getting chucked in with all that stuff. So if we mentioned System of a Down or Deftones, his mind goes straight to Linkin Park and Papa yeah. Roach, because a lot yeah. of the bands that he was producing around that time, they wanted to be Linkin Park, or they wanted to be Machine Head. And he'd be talking to us going, oh, you want to get that kind of really heavy thing? You want to get like sort of Soulfly? And we were like, no, mm. no, not Soulfly. It's not heavy enough. Like we uh, we want to be like, I, I kept saying like, think extreme, extreme metal vocal. I was going, I want this kind of screaming extreme metal vocal. That's what I want. But I also want to be able to put the kind of melodic parts in there as well. But I could never get him to quite understand that, them, I wanted the melodic bits to be a bit gruff and a bit sort of, um, mm. you know, quiet and understated. And he was like, no, you've got to kind of really sing it and you've got to really... So and I was like, no. And in the end, being, you know, being 21, I never had the sort of com conviction to go, no, I'm not doing that. I'm yeah. not rapping. I don't want this to be a rap band. But he would mention stuff like, well, look what happened is happening with Limp Bizkit and stuff. And we were just like, why are you mentioning fucking Limp Bizkit? Mm -hmm. But I think... Um, you know, Martin, Martin's drumming is way more um, sort of bouncy and groovy than most of the sort of hardcore bands at that time because he didn't listen to hardcore yeah, um, at all. And the other thing is, is that, like I said before, Kiers' guitar tone kind of deliberately, he would always, he plays quite fast, but it's not ever, he never sort of chugs like metal chugs. Like even, you know, even Ben Wyman can like, yeah, go give her like, -dead -dead -dead. Gung -gung. do you know what I mean? Mm. He gets that top end. He doesn't palm no. mute uh, uh, mm. much at all, really. And palm muting is such a massive sort of technique in guitar playing, especially in metal. Mm. Um, yeah. But there's and I think he deliberately just didn't, yeah, just did not want to do that at all. Mm. So you couldn't really kind of pick out the riffs, and it just wasn't quite heavy enough. And I think, like again, he was. Kiers was definitely like, I'm not. No, he was like, no, I know exactly what I want and I don't want it. And when he was like, let's 
chunk this up a bit he's like let you know and he would say to me like palm mute it or like down tune it a bit so you can get that bit more of a kind of muddy mm -hmm. and kids just straight away was like it's new metal i'm not doing it and he so he was sort of in this war of attrition of like i'm not doing the kind of new metally stuff and that would mean that the production i think it just meant it sounded a bit sort of fuzzy it just sounds fuzzy yeah you know i mean like a lot of the guitar parts just sound really fuzzy and then i was not strong enough to go no fuck off i'm not absolutely do not want because i remember him going like you know get into the groove he used to he, he would have like a fag in his mouth and he'd sort of he'd do the like <laughs> you know the new metal like where you sort of bounce up and you sort of bend over and yeah like, yeah yeah do you know yeah. what i mean like you know jonathan davis used to sort of go up and down just bend over and just do sort of like groove and he used to do that he's like yeah you want to get it so you can do that to it and we were like no we we don't. We don't. <laughs> we don't want it to be. Don't want it to be groovy. Like I was always thinking, like Martin can have quite sort of hard hitting, bouncy drums, but everything else around it should be like quite savage and weird yeah. and a bit like disjointed. And he just didn't understand that that was what we wanted at all. So that was kind of frustrating. I think it sounds like. I mean, that completely makes sense. Um, what you're saying, because I would say, uh, eighty five percent of the time, it sounds like a early style metalcore record and conversion white pony i can see that in terms of what you were going for um but then the very occasionally the 10 percent or 15 percent of the time there's a massive new metal thing thrown into it which makes it feel a bit odd yeah and i think that is yeah. th that's what i mean by it being a bit of a product of its time and you can kind of see that push and pull in the end result a lot of the time when you have a clean vocal and I'm assuming this is a production uh, choice. There's a kind of, there's that loudspeaker. Um, oh, it'll probably be, it'll probably be a type of effect, but it's like a loudspeaker type effect put over it so that you have a kind of almost ghostly uh, feel to your clean vocals and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, was that a decision from you? Was that from him? Do you remember? Probably, probably him, because actually one of the things that was, um, if you go back to the demo before that on the over and special demo mm. one of the arecibo which was the one song that we were like this would actually work quite well mm -hmm. most of that is sort of clean sung but it's not really clean sung it's not kind of a, like a melodic emo-y clean vocal it's more like a sort of there's a gruffness to it yeah it's a, a kind of gruff but a cleaner but gruff it's it's sung in a metal or yeah. a kind of hardcore way but it's just like not screamed yeah, yeah, yeah and i was like that's what we should try and go for more um and it it made it like because to me i was like oh you know it for the first you know like everything you ever wanted to know about silence just come mm -hmm. out and mm -hmm. we were all listening to that mm -hmm. and we were like oh yeah you've kind of got oh, got a bit of that glass jaw thing going on that and then it got totally stripped away uh, when the album came out, which, you know, I don't necessarily think we were really thinking about Glassjaw at that point. We weren't really thinking about Glassjaw that much anyway. Mm. That was mm. sort of, we'd moved on to other things really. But I think it would have been better if we'd have, you know, totally chopped out the fucking new metal bullshit and the, yeah, and made it sound gruffer. Because I'll there are a few bits, there are a few bits like the end of Nimian where it's, a, you know, sort of acoustic guitar or clean guitar all those clean guitar parts could have sounded really airy and yeah nice you know if we'd have just said to him maybe if you'd have said to him the cure or something he might have understood it a bit better yeah but i don't know if you don't mind me saying so 
gets a bit post-rock towards the end, Nubia, like all best, all the best yeah. songs. <laughs> but yeah, it yeah, totally yeah. does. It totally does. Mm. Like the last two minutes, minute and a half of Nimium could be a mono song. Mm. And I, I'm not saying that facetiously. Yeah. It totally could be a mono song. Like it's, it's. Yeah, well, I it, think like Godspeed, you Black Emperor, 2001, they just sort of lift your skinny fists. Yeah, they just released yeah. lift your skinny Celestial fists. Celestial by I. Yes. Yeah, which is obviously a which massive is an amazing record. album. Celestial yeah. by Isis had come yeah. out, and we were like Martin fucking loved Isis. Yeah, and I think Kiers had, was listening to, you know, that, and I'd I'd heard Neurosis around that like a couple of years before, and as well, and I was always like, let's do more sort of, you know, like so. I think everybody, everybody apart from Daz, who just wanted to do a punk band, mm. just wanted to do, just wanted to make you know, like to throw things around mm. you know it wasn't really interesting because i was sort of saying like after this we actually wrote because we split up about a year after this came out mm -hmm. we wrote one more song and it was and we played it live a few times and people were like fucking hell it's like calculating infinity era dillinger like it was proper wow. we've got to the point where we could do like proper sort of dillinger worship but i think that song was seven minutes long wow so it was like loads of dillinger -y stuff and then it would just stop and we had this massive, like, slow, dead build of about three minutes right in the middle of it. Um, and I was like, this is great. And I, and I remember saying to Dad's like, I think if we carry on, we're going to get to the point where we do a Jupiter, where we start going and do like what Caving did. And he was like, well, I won't be in a fucking band if you do. <laughs> He's like, it's enough that I've got to do. It's, it's enough that I've got to stand still for three minutes on this new song. Mm hmm. Pushing and pulling that in different therein directions. Therein lies the problem. Yeah, It's weird though, isn't it? Because sometimes that push and pull in different directions is exactly what makes a band brilliant. I mean, people bring up Deftones and this mm. all of the time. Um, but I think it's so often true. And I guess the best bands are just the ones who do manage to stay together despite all that stuff. Um, but it's fucking yeah. hard. It's really hard when, when you're kind of being forced to do something that you don't want to do, even though it might be for the be betterment of the group or the songs or whatever mm. um what did cause the split i think that would have been the sorry go on. Well, no, well no i mean to get going on to that yeah, i think that was the problem because basically musically we'd play live and i was just like right when we play live it has to be so in it has to be so fucking intense that's all I, like all i cared about just make it so 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 crazy like i wanted to do crazy shows you know the kind of climbing on bars mm -hmm. but by this point you know we were doing gigs with this girl who were fucking mental mm -hmm. we'd seen dillinger you know and we'd mm -hmm. seen um at the drive-in and mm -hmm. we were just like let's we did we didn't play much so we went to college in andover me and dad's and we started our first few gigs we played in that were in andover and people liked us and then we played some gigs where we ch changed tack a bit and they were the in andover it was really like you know they liked fucking culture but they never moved on from like coal chamber and that like the, it was a proper new metal stronghold mm. um and everybody they like new metal so we turn up and they were like this is rubbish like they're crap now it's all fucking weird and you know but i remember we hadn't played in andover for about two years and we went and did a gig in andover after we'd been playing all around the country you know going up to birmingham and worcester and then going to fucking wells and whatever and all these local bands and they just stayed in andover and they were still covering like spine shank in their live set and stuff and it was fucking rubbish <laughs> and we were like we're gonna do a gig in andover mm -hmm. and we're gonna get the um we're gonna support the band that uh, who are rubbish who are just like the kind of local heroes who 
again you know just the fucking crap covers band and um we're going to support them and we're going to fucking blow them off stage and well, i remember we did this gig in andover with all of the material from this all the new material and we had been playing loads and we were really tight and we went fucking batshit absolutely batshit crazy i kicked the um the fire escape at the side of the pub open and threw a wheelie bin into into the into the bar and then jumped into the wheelie bin i think i did a song with my head upside down in the wheelie bin and, <laughs> and there are a few people were there who were just like you're still the worst thing i've ever seen in my life but there are a few people who would like oh my god when did you you're like when the fuck did you get like this because it yeah. was like you know they remember us covering territorial pissings and just sort of standing there yeah but yeah, it was fucking what we're that was wild, but um, yeah, so but basically, that's all I wanted us right. Really, I wanted us to be really, really good on record, but I wanted us to be really crazy live. Daz didn't give a shit what you know, if we, he was like, we can write two and a half minute long punk songs that we can go mental to live. Whereas I think Martin, the drummer, and Kiers did not what care about they wanted us to sound good live. I mean, the problem with our live show is is that we didn't always sound good because mm. Daz would break his bass or I'd mm. kick the fucking amp over or I'd stand on Martin's drum kit and put my foot through the snare drum or something and then he'd have to stop and in the middle of a song. And, and those two who really wanted us to sound good was like, were like, well, we're just standing, you know, often were sitting or standing there trying to play the songs as best they could. Mm. A bit like Jim Ward. I mean, you know they had the drive-in when they play at the, on Jules Holland? Yeah. And it's yeah. a fucking mess. It was like that sometimes. Like yeah. poor Jim Ward just playing the song as best he can. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sounds fucking dreadful. So there were gigs where it was... There were too many gigs where it was like that. Hmm. And we we couldn't be coerced out of just not doing that. Um, so there was a sort of split in the camp there. But it ended up being a sort of three-way split because... <laughs> like two of them wanted to get drunk and then daz's girlfriend at the time was a photographer and he wouldn't go unless she would take photos so there was like a split with like kids and laura just wanted to get drunk daz was straight edge and his girlfriend was straight edge and they fucking hate those those two pairings would hate each other right and then me and martin were just in the middle of it being like you lot are fucking just a nightmare yeah so yeah. we just we just we just didn't really get on that much anymore although we all get on now so that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing because you're not in that uh, pressure cooker situation anymore and having to make it work mm. and so on and so forth. Um, as I said, quite sincerely, genuinely, I think this is a a perfectly good record and I, I really enjoyed listening to it. Like, genuinely. Thanks, mate. And I think um, uh, certainly if I'd known about you guys at the time, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like this that I was beginning, probably would have been a, if anything, a tiny bit heavy for me, but you know, I was I was getting into Hundred Reasons and Hell is for Heroes, and Ruben would have been a couple of years later and stuff like that. And and this is heavier than that stuff, but um, yeah. I can see myself kind of uh, I can see a Steggle supporting one of those bands and then me being curious about it at the time. Um, mm. And yeah, I think genuinely, like we would certainly review this if this came out now. There would be a couple of things where I'd be like, "This sounds a little bit two thousand and one, doesn't it?" But overall, yeah. I think you know, I think it is a solid, a solid record. You said that it got sort of four out of five in Kerrang and four out of five in Rock Sound and stuff like that. Four, four Ks, four Ks. in Kerrang. Um, 
and I believe it mentioned Poison the Well, which we are happy with. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there's no four. way. I'd, there's no way I'd review this without mentioning Poison the Well. There's a lot. Of, <laughs> I mean, Poison the Well is the one for me in terms of how mm. what this sounds like. If you want to know what this sounds like, it sounds like Poison the Well, more or less. Yeah. Um, we got uh, compared to Isis uh, in Rock Sound, I think. Okay. Uh, Darren Sadler actually reviewed it and was like, "This no is, way. you know, this is 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 heavy." Uh, in many ways but it's got an isis kind of thing to it and that made us send it off to hide your head records i mean the kind of irony of all this is i mean i remember just just before the we released it properly we took a kind of a a version of it a kind of because it hadn't got we hadn't got back from the pressing plant but we had a sort of you know master and we took it to the club that cannot be named uh the wheat sheaf in oxford alan day who now does or who did sonosphere and who he does all that stuff yeah. so i'm very familiar on, with the wheat sheaf from my drama school days yeah, yeah. love that yeah, place. yeah yeah so we went up to see i think it was dillinger and the icarus line nice um doing that kind of co-headliner thing so we went up to see that and alan would dj in between the band or the band mm-hmm. setting up and we went on and we were like alan this is our album. Hmm. This is our, our, our album. And he was like, oh, okay. And he was like, what track should I put on? And I think we said, put on Mr. Fight Boy because it's sort of the heaviest, mm-hmm. fastest one on there. And so, but while, so he was playing like stuff and then he put our song on in between, like waiting for Dillinger to come on. And there are a few of the people in bands there who was, we suddenly heard them go, what's this? what's this and i remember some of the people in bands that we knew from there again this is our our new album and they were like is it fucking hell well so you know for 2001 standards yeah. i think it actually sounded quite good at the time around the sort of underground scene and it ended up in the hands of aaron turner from hydra head records of isis and um we split up and he put it on his We'd split up, but he put it on his like website going, what I'm listening to. And it was there for like three months. Mm. And he got hold of Daz. He emailed Daz and was like, I want to put an EP out on Hydrahead. Like next time you record into the studio, I'll put it out. Um, and he was like, and when ISIS come over and tour, um, we want you to open for us. Mm. Eden Maine Eden Main ended up getting that slot. Do you remember Eden Maine? Oh, Main? Eden Maine. Yeah, that's a blast from the past. But yeah, I do remember them. Yeah. Because we knew Eden Maine when they were like, tiny little kids right and they were like we love we fucking love Steggle. and then they got much bigger and better than us um <laughs> and there's, a, there's a lot of those bands in that period like you know i've said it before honda mclean mm. we played with it but we played it we were the middle of honda mclean us funeral for a friend in bridge end or something i think we played a club in bridge end yeah. with funeral for a friend going on first when they were all like sort of 16 um and hondo and obviously we did gigs with lost profits and we did Gig, lots of gigs with this girl, lots of gigs with Earth Tone Nine, a few gigs with, um, we did Will Haven as well mm-hmm. um, at, with, in Oxford, you know, uh, Sponge, the skate in in Salisbury, Sponge, Raging Speed on Earth Tone Nine, Brutal Deluxe, and Medulla Knock Day, I think it was what in the lineup. Earth was Sponge doing on that venue. The Sponge would just get onto every well, everyone single watched bill. Sponge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking joke, absolute <laughs> fucking jokers. But yeah, I mean, any of those bands like Sick as well. We played with Sick the whole bunch of times. Any of those bands from that period in Britain, we pretty much played with them. I think we played with most of them. Yeah, so we did gig with all them, and then we got offered a bunch of stuff. And we got offered a slot at the Milwaukee Metal Fest with fucking when Dillinger were headlining in 2002 as well. And we just like, we split up. 
So there you go. I can sort. And then I I went to drama school and a year later, Funeral for a Friend were top 10 in the fucking UK album charts. (laughs) And I was like, what's going on here? I can sort of see it. You can see, like, you can see there are, the reason why I think it's good is because you can see there are things that are holding you back, um, but there's so much promise there. And like, when you get a, when you get a song like, you know, what you needed was management and just someone just to steer you a little bit, I think. And I can, I can, yeah, I can see, I can see why people would have been into this as a potential. Like, I don't think anyone would have listened to this album and gone, "This is the finished product." But in terms of whenever we talk about a debut album that comes out, where you're like, "This is really good," what they need to do is this, this, and this, and then it will be absolutely tipped off. I mean, we did that really recently with Mother Vulture. You know, um, it's it, it yeah, it, it's it's that in a sense. It's that's it you can see the potential there and you can see you can you can pinpoint parts of it where you go if you do a bit more of that that and that and do a little bit less of this this and this then you could be fucking amazing and again when you think of the leaps that bands make i mean if this was um if this had been uh, the cold sun and then you guys did uh I let it in and it took everything you know the two loath records like if it had been that bigger step up you never yeah. know you know I can see mm. that totally, totally. I mm. think, I mean, four out of five, four Ks. Yeah, that sounds right to me. I was thinking out of 10, I'd give it a seven or an eight. But actually at the time, I think I would have given it an eight. I think the only thing which is making me go seven is the um, production bits and pieces, which are very off the time. But because it was released yeah. in 2001, that's kind of null and void. So yeah, I think I think it's quite a strong eight. Well, bloody hell, Renfrew. There you go. Yeah. Oh, genuinely. Why are you so harsh on Trivium and you're giving this an eight? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I do prefer this to the Trivium record, genuinely. Fucking hell. I mean, I, 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 the Trivium record's better, but but I prefer this. Does that make sense? Yeah, Trivium record is better. Matt Heafy can actually sing. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, I wanted to. I mean, I was used to lose, lose my voice all the fucking time. It was a yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of straining. I would have needed vocal coaching. Cause, oh, yeah. Um, I was getting passed on just like cupping the microphone and going. <laughs> a lot. It was, it was no fun. No uh. fun for anyone. But for three, for three minutes today, I could probably do as proven by my appearance with Palm Reader doing Halo by Soil. <laughs> if it's only four minutes, I could probably manage yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, you did a sterling up, guys. I think me yeah, me and Sammy from Employed to Serve are going to do a grindcore band at some point. So, Fantastic. Um, you know, look, af- look, out- look after that. <laughs> look after that. Look out for that. I've got um, a band. St- I'm starting a band with Sammy as well, apparently. So, yeah, who knows? We'll see. Oh, yeah? Apparently. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Everyone's know. in a band. Yeah, exactly. It's, Everyone. it's not. It's not uh, difficult. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Thanks very much for being a patron. That's fucking long, wasn't it? We talked longer about that than we did about the first Death album. Yeah, it's but insane. we've got we've got the man himself. We've got the the man, the legends. I mean, you know, there's lots to art. If we had if we had Chuck. Uh, in the room i'm sure yeah, we would have we, <laughs> we would have been here a long here time quite quite a lot longer yeah. <laughs> yeah um okay well there you go for those of you who asked 
Um, there it is. You can get this. You can find it. I mean, I'm not going to fucking tell you where to find it. It's on YouTube, I believe, or it's £99 on Discord. <laughs> uh, I can probably, maybe should do a reissue. It'll be next year, it'll be the 20th anniversary of it. So maybe we can do like a 20th anniversary remaster or something and yeah. sell those fucking 200 copies that are um, stuck up in Irene Hutchins' uh, living room. Mate, the only so, reason I or... want to do these writers' reviews is I'm trying to get rid of all of my CDs that I've got on my EP. <laughs> so... <Yeah. laughs> £4 a pop. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Um, I'll be back with Renfrey. You're next in your discography. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Thanks very much for listening. Um, if you've heard this free, go to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and give us some money <laughs> or just buy one of Renfrey CDs. Either <laughs> or. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.